0: This is the huddle.com Lifecast. We're talking to inspired and insightful people who have faced life's greatest challenges and broken through. Welcome, everyone, to the huddle.com livecast. I'm your host, Mark Stolo. I'm joined today by Yasmin DeFuni. Yasmin is an integrative nutrition health coach, and she's also one among many professionals in our Huddle Pro network. For those of you who are new to Huddle, um, in our community, we have a network of professionals that provide support to our members through social exchange and through the community interactions. And we're also releasing a new service in our platform where our members will be able to have one-to-one time through video sessions with our network of pros like Yasmin. Yasmin, welcome to the Huddle.com Livecast.
1: Thank you, Mark. I'm very happy to be here today.
0: So you and I are... We are physically distant. Someone said to me the other day, I don't know why we keep saying social distance. We should be saying physical distance because it's actually very important that we stay socially connected while staying physically distant. So you and I are physically distant and we're talking to each other at a time, you know, where the world's different. It's different right now. There's a a different reality out there. There's a different mood out there. Uh, People are feeling scared. People are feeling unsure. That's all perfectly normal. But what we're going to talk about today, I think is very relevant to, maybe even more relevant now than it was before about how we facilitate dealing with pain points in our lives. How do we support moving from a place of feeling trapped, um, feeling like we're maybe stagnating, feeling like we're just, you know, kind of spinning our wheels and activate a process of change, which is a lot about what we do at Huddle, and it's a lot about the purpose of our community, so it's it's topical. And I think in the spirit of that, there's a lot of people out there who are more than ever feeling trapped, you know, trapped in their homes. That can make people feel trapped in their bodies. That can make them feel trapped in their minds. And so we'll definitely introduce in the course of our conversation some ways that people can deal with this new reality. And then as we get back to Quote unquote, normal, what people can then bring into their everyday lives. What's, I want to start, Yasmin, talking about, you know, pain points and where people begin from when they're in this place of feeling stuck or overwhelmed. Um, like, I think the hardest thing in the world is for people to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Right. Like that's the hard thing. That's that's probably the first hardest gesture is how do I get unstuck? Let's talk about just people being stuck in their lives. Like, what does that look like?
1: Um, If we if we look at the current situation of feeling quarantined, a lot of uh, because it's uh, not self-imposed, because it's imposed by outside environments, So many friends, and even us as a family, I have two children, uh, 12-year-old twins, and the first reaction was, uh, you know, my personal freedom is being taken away from me, I'm not going to be able to put in the hours, I want to put in uh, what's going to happen with uh, the the school, you know, are the children going to be able to work or not, Uh, is there going to be enough food? and also, you you know, having to work the dynamic of having the family home and uh, everybody stuck in one space, uh, which can make everybody uh, anxious. Uh, there's also the financial um, part that comes in, which uh, where a lot of people are losing their jobs or have a fear of losing their jobs. And many people are wondering what's going to come after that. Mm. Um.
0: The world of a world of unknowns
1: of unknowns, which leads to mostly to the feeling of being overwhelmed to anxiety. Mm. And um, what we have found helpful and what I've worked on with my clients is to bring them to the now. Mm -hmm. So what's happening now? What can we do today? What can we do this week? Uh, to, normalize um, the day-to-day environment to have uh, a schedule that will actually support us and make us feel better. And because that schedule will actually bring you back to having a routine at home. And human beings are creatures of habit. And if you have a routine that is uh, supporting the goals in the back of your head or supporting what you'd like to establish, then you start feeling safer, you start feeling more accomplished, you start being more comfortable with where you are.
0: Yeah, I like the idea that people can, under you know abnormal circumstances, can introduce normalcy into their lives through a consistent behavior pattern, because the tendency is that to get lost in the abnormality, right? To feel overwhelmed by it. Um, so... Rather than just feeling the sense of like, you know, everything's falling apart, so I'm going to let my world that's within my control here also fall apart, having the discipline to step back and say, more than ever right now, I need to be, you know, have structure in place. I need to try to find a new routine.
1: Yes. And sometimes you need to let it fall apart for a few days, and Mm. that's okay, because that's when... Uh, the, the the overwhelm and the strong emotions come to play, and we need to actually let the emotional cycle take its its cycle or its toll. Mm-hmm. But we also need to get ourselves out and actually jump into a routine that's going to support us.
0: Right. I think. And... That... go ahead. Sorry.
1: Oh no, go ahead. It's okay.
0: I was going to say I think that it's interesting that there's been criticism later against uh, uh, Donald Trump for talking about how quick and how fast we have, you know, the US economy has to get back up um, and how quickly we have to get people back to work. And and the counter argument there is obviously is that we're dealing with a virus that's not under control and the concern about more exposure and more public exposure. And so it, it raises an interesting question about for some people, I think, on the opposite end of the spectrum who are choosing this time to be like, I'm going to make a change to everything. <laughs> you know, it's like,
1: <laughs> watch this,
0: you know. <laughs> And, and you can see that on both sides of the equation. There's the people who are like, I'm going to make a change in, in terms of everything of how, how I'm thinking and everything is bad, right? So like, yeah. watch this. I'm going to paint my entire life with a big black brush because, quote unquote, the world is falling apart at the seams. And then there's the other side of the spectrum which people are like, I'm going to take this opportunity to do everything big, bigger, faster, change everything rapidly. So when we talk about, You know, finding stability and balance in our lives, and in activating change or shifting a mindset. What's the challenge with going big or going home? Like, why does that approach often not lead to success?
1: Well, I find going big too quickly. um, You may do it for the time. Let's just take the quarantine into as an example. If you are going to be quarantined for two to four weeks, and your plan is to change everything in those two to four weeks that may work for you short term because it suits the the current um your current day-to-day schedule where where you are at home where you have nothing to do but be able to put all your focus on the items you're trying to integrate into your daily habits however the minute you have to start you know taking public transportation getting to work and maybe going to the supermarket, uh seeing friends, so like your old routine. If these habits have not worked their way uh slowly in a step by step process into your routine where you can actually maintain them, then they go right out the window very quickly. It's mm-hmm. like easy come, easy go.
0: Right, right, right. I think it's you see that actually that very clear pattern often in, you know, radical diets. So people people i think can sustain newness for a very short period of time when it particularly when it's dramatic newness so i'm i'm off sugar i'm never going to eat sugar again you know and so they do that for a day and maybe two days and three days and because it's so dramatic the change and it hasn't been integrated inevitably they go back to an old pattern um and then you know oh i'll I'll reward myself with that sugar you know because that that um that approach of avoidance or maybe what you could call abstinence also creates a new tension. It's like you've built an adversary in your life. Like it's me against sugar. And what that does is also trains the mind that when you're in a place feeling vulnerable or stressed or anxious, you'll look to the sugar as a reward for, or some reconciliation of that stressor Um, maybe even more intensely than you did before, because you're kind of in this, I mean, I hate to analogize it this way. And, but for the sake of just an analogy, you know, what we what we saw, for example, in like, you know, um, in certain faiths where that practiced abstinence, you know, many people of faith were estranged from their sexuality, which caused them to then behave awkwardly sexually, because their relationship to their sexuality was in a strained place. Um, I think to your point, this is that, that rebound effect is in part the because we, we build up a resistance to this rather than a slow progression of change. So when we talk about making that change and and taking incremental steps, you know, why is small big when we're talking about change? Like talk a bit about why small is so important.
1: So when we take on a big decision, um let's say uh, you decide to integrate movement into your life so you can have more energy and feel better. And um you say a lot of my clients would say they're not moving right now and they would say, okay, you know what? I commit to going to the gym four times a week starting next week. Um, and I will usually prompt them to break it down and say, well, I would rather you commit to 10 minutes of movement a day or go to the gym once, make sure it is scheduled in your weekly schedule block it out as you would a work appointment or a doctor appointment where there is nothing that's going to happen that will uh, allow you or allow yourself to cancel it unless it's a you know an emergency and keep doing it um every day or Like if it's the 10 minutes, you need to keep doing it every day. If it's the once a week, you need to do that. And that's it. So it's one commitment to doing one small thing a week. And whether you do it well or not, the fact that you actually blocked out the time and you actually put in the effort to do it is what matters at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then by holding the person accountable, then they need to check in with you. You become like the accountability partner. And um, by doing that over and over and over, they start feeling the physical benefits and the mental benefits. Mm -hmm. And they start believing that they can actually do it and continue to build on that habit. Mm -hmm. If there is resistance, then we need to find out where it's coming from and break it down even further until right. it becomes a really, really simple step for them to take. Yeah. But almost like a no-brainer.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I like how you say I like no-brainer. It's a great one. <laughs> it's very Zen no-brainer. Um, yeah. <laughs> the But it's an interesting uh, an example when you say no-brainer because uh, your brain is going to sometimes not be your friend in this process. Right. So yeah, you're, you're going to be wrestling with old patterns of thinking. One of the things I encourage people often to do is to, um, train yourself to resist your brain. So understand that you can, um, do things even though your brain may be differently than what your brain is thinking about. Um, so not every thought that percolates in your head has to be taken at face value. You can contradict your brain because, only if you also understand that you're not totally in control of every thought you're having, right? Some of the thoughts that are being triggered in you are uh, coming from an unconscious place. They're being informed by fear. Thoughts are always rooted in the past. So, right, they're building off of past behavior. So if you're trying to make a change in the present, relying on your brain to be your only ally in that process or like patterns of thinking to be your only ally in the process is like basically hog tying yourself uh, when you want to go for a run, so I think uh, no brainer is an important one to just get into a place of plan, do, go, right? Like yeah, I'd, I'd like to, uh, yeah, I'd like
1: to. Yeah, uh, I'd like to. I'd like to highlight. Go back to that point. Why I, I said no brainer is when, when let's give an example of when you're a child and you want to learn how to ride a bicycle. So in the beginning. Um, it's a new task that you're you're not you don't understand like you don't you're not familiar with all the steps you need to do to ride the bike so you need to uh, you know break down the steps you have to hold the handles you have to put your leg on the other side your brain needs to uh, go into some kind of uh, you know eye hand coordination to actually figure out the moves and it takes a lot of effort for you to actually figure out how to do it mm-hmm. but if you keep practicing riding the bicycle what happens after uh, a week or two is it becomes automatic so then that's a different part of your brain that's in charge and when it becomes automatic it becomes easy when it becomes easy it's the path of least resistance of holding on to the habit mm-hmm. and so when we go back to the point of holding a person accountable breaking down a task or you know something they want to integrate to the simplest simplest uh, form When they keep doing it, then the brain slowly stops resisting that and then it moves to becoming an automatic habit that they can actually maintain and they can start building more uh, steps onto that.
0: Mm -hmm. I like the the other idea that I've read about recently is this, this concept of piggybacking habits, which I really like is this idea that if you want to train a new habit, you can link it to another neutral or positive habit. So for example, um, if every morning you brush your teeth when you get up, you make your exercise the next thing you do after that. So it goes in the sequence of habits, it's I brush my teeth, I exercise. And what that does is it ties exercise into this regular habit that you do every day. I thought that was a very interesting way of approaching, building habits on top of each other, positive habits on top of each other. Obviously, you wouldn't want to build a habit like, I'm going to overeat, and then I'm going to go exercise. <laughs> that, would, that wouldn't be a good sequence. Um, but yeah. that, that is actually, that's, that there's a reverse sequence, I think, for some people. Some people are like, I can ex- I'll exercise, and then I'll reward myself with food. See, like that would be piggybacking two habits together that are, gonna, are going to be an antidote to each other. You want, you want habits that are either neutral or positive that you're building on so that you can just easily trigger in your day what comes next. Because that's that's typically the way our habits work, right? Like when I wake up in the morning, I don't think about it. Like I literally, I wake up in the morning, I go to the bathroom and then I brush my teeth. Um, and then I go with my dog downstairs for what we call man's club, me and my dog. But that's the sequence yeah. of of my events in the morning. Then I do other things that are habitual, but it's, it's a procession. And part of building habits is adding to that procession, kind of like, um, I forget what that dance is called, where people hold on to their waist in a line. But if you're kind of building a, a sequence of habits in a strain, that can be very effective as well.
1: Yes, it, it, it's actually one of the easiest ways to integrate habits, because that's a positive sequence that you're, you're doing without thinking much. So if you let's say you wanted to integrate meditation in there so you could say you know what I'm going to brush my teeth meditate and then go for my walk right because the two other habits are are ingrained already yeah so that could be a very easy way to add that
0: yeah and i think to your point there's there's a kind of strain that comes with decision making like I, one of the things i've read about very successful um a lot of successful ceos or leaders is that They minimize the number of decisions they have to take in a day. And what do they mean by that? Well, they try to prioritize the big decisions and give their energy to those things. But when it comes to like what they wear or, you know, brushing their teeth or, you know, getting into the car, whatever it is, the simplest things, they just remove the decision-making process. So like I keep my wardrobe simple. You know, I don't go into my wardrobe and spend, have to spend an hour thinking about what I'm going to wear because that's units of energy that I'm dispensing unnecessarily. And I think with habits, that's really important as well because you can exhaust yourself psychologically, you know, going through a rote routine in your brain of all the reasons why you shouldn't do something like, Oh, uh, you know, I, I went to bed late last night and um, uh, maybe my dinner was too big and uh, I had, you know, an argument with my wife and, I'm just not feeling right, and I'm not going to go for a run today. You know, eliminate the decision-making process. Just embed it in your life and leave your energy to make other decisions that are more creative and new for you. But when it comes to the staples in your life, get on automatic.
1: That's right. I mean, once once you've established a routine that's working for you, uh, then you, it's not about what you may want to do or may not want to do. They become a habit. So there's no need to overthink anything else. Mm-hmm. You get up, you do it, and then some people feel like it's confining or restrictive to have a routine. And so they resist it.
0: Yeah,
1: But it's actually the opposite. It makes you more efficient. It reduces your uh, waste of time. It gives you more structure and actually sets you free to be able to integrate what you really want to integrate. Mm -hmm. And going back to the point of I I had read that Barack Obama had uh, only wore, you know, black ties, black suits, white shirt. And uh, basically there was no decision making uh, happening on that level in order to free him to make the, the key decisions.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting, this idea that you only have so much energy in a day and you have to dispense it intelligently. And so if you're trying to reinforce certain behaviors, you know, the least amount of energy you expend, the better, the more exerting it is. And also as you exert more energy trying to do it, you're going to start associating it with that strain. Um, it's funny how you, you said the word resistance. I would contend that people who are resisting habits who are resisting routines can also start looking at that resistance as a kind of routine. You know, it's that old adage of even if you choose not to decide you're still making a choice. If you're, if you're choosing resistance as a pattern in your life, it's still a pattern. And typically it comes with a, a emotional baggage that in of itself is full of patterns, you know? So it's like, Oh, I don't want to be like everyone else. And you know, everyone else is like too into that craze and, Uh, I'm just going to, my, my play is going to be just resistance of all of these things. That's going to be my shtick, so to speak, but that's still a shtick. Like you're not, you haven't freed yourself from the, the worldly, you know, being in the world and making choices. You're just choosing to make choices that, you know, are in a different, you know, are are self-interested in a different way. So we can understand resistance as its own kind of pattern as well.
1: Well, you know, we we learn we learn habits um, since you know since we're kids, it's uh, it's all behaviors that are learned. Some are conscious; a lot of them become unconscious, and we carry them into adulthood. So, when we decide we want to change, uh, I'm not going to say who we are, but like if you go back to you and I had spoken about the book of James Clear. Mm -hmm. atomic habits and when you he says that you need to decide to change your identity uh, to be able to solidify habits and by identity he means um, the example he gave which I really liked was uh, instead of saying I want to lose weight and I'm going to do that through exercise you actually identify yourself with an athlete or with a, a body shape that you really like and you say i am that person Mm -hmm. i do look like that right and and then ask yourself the question what does the person does that person do every day to look like that right right well what that person's gonna do is they're gonna make sure they go to the gym every day and they're gonna make sure they're eating a healthy balanced diet that supports that result and that's who you need to identify with not the weight loss goal you need to identify with that person and start mimicking their behavior yeah, yeah. and with time you'll get the desired result mm-hmm. and then part of it becomes you because you tell yourself oh i am fit after all
0: right right yeah i love that i love that statement as well I and mean, that actually that idea is bleeding through the corporate space as well that this idea of like starting with why and it's true for the identity of a company as much as it's true for ourselves in our own lives, you know, grounding yourself in your purpose and a sense of meaning, understanding the person that you want to be in your life in your life allows you to manifest these behaviors much more easily, right? So to your point as I'm not trying to lose weight. It starts with I want to feel good in my body. You know, I want to be healthy in the world. I want to have an impact on others. And so that... Becomes part of your why statement, so doing things like exercise or eating well or taking care of your mind is an extension of that identity it's It's not something that's layered on top of it, like it's not an add-on it's not a watch or a necklace yeah. it's like no it's it's your core outfit
1: Yes, and I found that when i uh, when I coach clients, when the conversation remains topical, like very much I want to lose weight, and that's it they don't get the results they want. But when we dig deeper and we look at the other aspects that make up their health, uh, so their relationships, their spirituality, their physical activity, uh, what else is meaningful in their life, and dig deeper until we find the why, then their actions become aligned with the why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's when you get the best outcome. That's when you get the transformation.
0: Love that. Guess what time it is? LifeCast questionnaire time. You're in the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) You're in the isolated hot seat. Um, Tell me, uh, Yasmin, what's your favorite quality in a person?
1: Perseverance.
0: Oh, you're the first. You're the first on the perseverance train. I love it. Is, (laughs) is Is there a mantra or an idea that guides your life, something that you go back to to make yourself feel more grounded?
1: Yes. It's all, it's not all or nothing.
0: Mm, Love that. Love that one too. Falling in love with these answers. Who's the, who's the person, if there's one person that stands out in your life that's influenced how you see the world?
1: Oh, that's a tricky question. Well, actually, um, my best friend, who's a psychologist, um, And so it's not somebody you know, but um, she has helped me a lot to look at life from different angles and actually uh, accept that um, it's okay not to feel good all the time. And it's okay to grieve and it's okay to be up and down. And uh, when I do the work I do, I support a lot of my clients, but then I need to get support as well. So she has been um, key in helping me do that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I'd like to say, don't, personally, my belief is don't ever go see a therapist who hasn't been in therapy um, or a life coach who's not living life, for that matter. <laughs> um, exactly. There, you, yeah. you need the support. For sure. For sure. Yeah. This, you know, being a coach or a counselor is not about perfection. It's actually about someone who's nurtured a kind of resilience a, and knows how to overcome adversity. Those are the kinds of people I think I want in my corner. Is there one area of your life? Right now, where you're doing some of your own personal growth work?
1: Yes, I'm doing um, a lot of work on my actually nutrition and on slowing down and being more present and integrating um, meditation and yoga into my day to day. And I found that it's extremely helpful at this point in time during quarantine too slow down because it was in the beginning it was a forced slowing down, but now I'm making it more of am fully present and intentionally slowing down. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. The quiet is, I understand that the quiet can be scary, but it's also like a brilliant opportunity for space. And I'm glad you're doing good things with that space. If, if I gave you 24 hours and I said you could see the world through someone or something's else's perspective who or what would you want to be for that 24 hours? <laughs>
1: Stumped. Oh, <I> <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually want to be a dancer. Oh, okay. <laughs> completely out of the, oh, <laughs> completely good. out of the, yeah, um, Why dancer? a dancer. Why dancer? Uh, uh, Well, you know what? Um, um, It intrigues me that you can just be a dancer on a big um, stage, just seeing different people, uh, being, you know, just surrounded with this energy and the music. I love it. And it's it's something I would love to do for one day. Mm
0: -hmm. Beautiful.
1: It's liberating, I find, and very different from the structured uh, lifestyle that I and many others lead every day.
0: I would, I'd buy a ticket to that show if you ever end up being a dancer. Let me know <laughs> if, if, if you could have any superpower, what would it be?
1: To fly across continents.
0: Mm, lots of flyers, people. The first the person who invents human flight, like, and I'm not talking about airplane flight. Boy, they're gonna be happy campers. So many people want to fly. Makes perfect sense. Yes, <sighs> Yasmin, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights today. Taking time. At a time that's difficult for a lot of people, so I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and knowledge with everyone listening today on the Huddle.com livecast. Yasmin is part of our Huddle Pro network. Um, she's one of many pros who are providing support and guidance in our community, exchanging with our members on a day-to-day basis. And you can join us at Huddle.com and connect up with Yasmin. Her handle on Huddle is at. Yasmin Defuni, that's Y-A-S-M-I-N-E-D-E-F-O-U-N-I. So you can search for her on huddle.com. She's also going to be a part of our network of Huddle Pros providing one-to-one video sessions, which we're releasing soon and probably by the time this podcast is out will already be available in the Huddle community that will make it possible for members to go from these social exchanges and then talk to coaches and counselors and mentors one-to-one through video-based communication. For those who are entirely new to Huddle, Huddle is a place to meet amazing people like Yasmin who are sharing wisdom and finding support and becoming the best versions of themselves. This has been the Huddle.com Lifecast. I want to thank you for tuning in and I want to thank you for turning on to your lives.